Yes, happy birthday, Jesus. Welcome to Christmas Eve, everybody. So glad that you're here. If you're brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here at Mill City. And though this is our fifth gathering, we saved the best for last, everybody. So, uh, In 1961, Yuri Gagarin, a Russian cosmonaut, was the first human in space. When he returned, he said, I didn't see God. Believing that somehow he was confirming the atheistic belief of the communist regime. C.S. Lewis responded not long after that with an essay called The Seeing Eye. I'm not going to quote it, but he basically said, you don't find God by going higher in your own space. If there's a God, you wouldn't relate to God the way a person on the first floor relates to somebody on the second floor. If God is our creator, then we would relate to God like Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. How is Hamlet ever going to know Shakespeare? Hamlet won't find him anywhere on the stage. Hamlet will only ever meet Shakespeare if Shakespeare writes himself into the story. I'm here to tell you today on this Christmas Eve, that is exactly what God has done when he came in human form. This is exactly what Christmas is all about. God wanted us to know him so much that he wrote himself into the story. Will Willimon, the president of Duke Divinity School, said it this way, God refuses to be God without us. John, in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became a human. He had hair and eyebrows and eyelashes and knuckles and heart and, and arteries and toes. God wrote himself into the story. So what does this mean? That's why we're going to take a few minutes to talk about what it means that God wrote himself into the story coming as a human as he did in Jesus. God in the story means a few things. Number one, we are not alone. Jesus, in his flesh, human body, walking around this earth, as he did a couple thousand years ago, he experienced anxiousness and was overwhelmed. He experienced darkness and isolation and abandonment and ridicule and pain. He has felt every wound, wrestled with temptation. He has felt the relational tensions of family drama and sibling rivalry. Some of you are on your way home to family drama this, F this evening. Jesus can relate to you. God is not uninvolved. He's not far off. He is not distant. God is not an idea. So do you ever feel like you're alone? Do you ever feel like no one understands you? Do you ever feel like somehow you're in isolation? Maybe as you look around and you see the cheer and the, the smiles and the celebration, you, you actually find yourself in a bit of a place of sadness. Maybe, maybe in this year particular, maybe you lost somebody this last year. and So this is your first Christmas without somebody special. And you find yourself both in a place of celebration and sadness. Jesus gets you. He understands you. You're not alone. 
He sees you. He doesn't dismiss you. He doesn't dismiss your fears, and He doesn't dismiss your tears. Actually, He enters them. He has experienced them. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that to be exceptionally comforting. But if Christmas only meant that God joined us, and that He is with us, and that He understands us, it's comforting, but in, in actuality, it is not good news. It is, it is nice, but it is not the ultimate good news. To go back to the Shakespeare analogy, if Shakespeare had written a play and then he sees the actors uh, writing or, or acting out the script, but then halfway through the play, they, they kind of go improv. They seem to somehow just be taking it in a different direction, and the characters that he developed are not actually the characters that he designed. And they're taking the script off the rails, and before you know it, he designed for them to be caring for one another. Instead, they're killing one another. In Genesis chapter 1, God created a world that was perfect. Had, it was all as it was designed to be. All for his, the masterpieces of his creation, humans, to flourish. And instead, they started to improv. And he started to take the script off the rails. And so God cared about his creation enough to say, you need some help to get it back on the rails. See, because when they went their own way, they invited sin and death and evil into the world. Something they could not save themselves from. In Matthew chapter 1, another one of the gospel writers says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, him being Joseph, Mary's fiance. The angel appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. See, God in the story means we have hope. Jesus with us, and Jesus came to do something for us. Something we could not do for ourselves. As described by Matthew, this gospel writer, he says we all need to be saved from our sins. Now in 2023, that doesn't land very well. The idea of sin actually can be a bit offensive in our day and age. Offensive in a day and age that says, I, I, find your own truth. You be you. I'll be me. Which ultimately is saying that I will determine what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And so salvation is about me finding some sort of peace or light on the inside. But Christmas, Christmas takes issue with that idea. Christmas says that we needed help from the outside, that we could not help ourselves. The Apostle Paul, as he writes in the New Testament, identifies sin not just as a moral, uh, an immoral action, but actually as a power that we live under. Maybe a, another way of thinking about it is like an infection. And there is no cure outside of our, inside of ourselves. Tips and techniques are not enough. Knowledge is not enough. I, I don't know about you, but my problem isn't a lack of knowledge. My problem is a heart that is bent in the wrong direction. A heart that is curled in on itself and is in need of transformation. 
And I cannot fix that. Now here's the beautiful thing, is that when God saw that his script was being taken off the rails, going in a different direction, characters not acting as they were designed, God didn't wag his finger and say, I am so angry, I can't believe it only took you three chapters to blow up the script. Actually, when God created the world, he says this is very good, and he expresses his love and delight in it. And then he creates humans, the crown jewel of his creation. He says, this is very good, and expresses his delight in humanity. That never changed. And so his desire to rescue it was motivated by love. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to Eugene Peterson's funeral. Eugene Peterson was a pastor for 30 years, about 30 years outside of Baltimore, Maryland. He wrote 35 books, and he's maybe most famously known as the one who translated uh, the message version of the Bible. And at his funeral, his son Leif gave the eulogy. And he said, my dad had everyone fooled for 29 plus years of pastoral ministry. For all his books, he only had one message. For all his sermons, he only had one message. It was a secret that Leif said his dad would had let him in on early in his life. It was a message that Leif said his dad had whispered into his heart for 50 years and sometimes would even slip into his room late at night thinking he was sleeping and speak it over him. And it was this, God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. The message of Christmas, God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you, and he's relentless. God's not angry at you. God loves you. God's not against you. God's on your side. God is coming after you. He's not running away from you. And God will do anything, including coming into the mess of this world, into the, uh, the upended script, and, and give his life away in order to rescue us. He is relentless. That is the message of Christmas, that is the message of the Bible. God is motivated not by anger, but by love. And finally, God writing himself into the story means that everything changes. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, this is out of the message version of the Bible, says it this way, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Fleming Rutledge, an Episcopalian author and theologian, said it this way, Christmas is about God invading territory held by the prince of darkness. Which means then that Christmas is an act of war. I love Christmas as, as we were talking about earlier and the tinsel and the, the gifts and the cookies and the cookies and the cookies. I, I love them all. And I love the, the sweet pictures and the idea of this beautiful eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. But it was this massive 
act of war against darkness and death. And it came, Jesus was here not just to save our souls, but to save all of creation, to redeem the entire story, and to bring it back to its fullest ending and fruition. See, what Jesus does for the human heart, he will one day do for the whole world. He will redeem it. Now, in our day and age, a lot of times the idea is if we can just get the dials right, if we can just get the right amount of education and the right legislation and the right politician and the, and the right amount of tolerance, then all of these things will come together and then we'll live in utopia together. Somehow the idea that we can have the kingdom of God without the king. But Christmas communicates that the right amount of education and the right amount of legislation and all these different things are not the hinge on which history swings. But in fact that Jesus entering into our world, God writing himself into the story, is the center point of all of history. That Jesus' birth, life, death, burial, resurrection was the turning point of human history. That we went actually from B.C. to A.D. That we went from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That we go from a time when death rules and reigns to a time when Jesus comes into the world so that death does not have the last word. So that grace has the last word and life has the last word and God has the last word and redemption has the last word. Any, uh, any kids in the room hoping for a bicycle for Christmas? Sometimes, sometimes Jesus gets thought about as like a, a part of our lives. You know, one particular spoke. Maybe even, maybe sometimes you've even heard like, make Jesus first in your life. You know, Jesus doesn't actually want to be first. See, because if you take one of these spokes out, the wheel still works. Jesus isn't interested in being first, he's interested in being center the center of our lives. See, because if you take the hub out, the whole wheel falls apart. And the, we, the hub, the center point of this wheel, supports the rest of the spokes. It is what holds it all together. It is what supports and informs the rest of life. It informs your time. It informs your finances. It informs your relationships. It informs the way that you raise kids. It informs your job. It informs your investments. It informs your retirement. It informs every aspect of who you are. And the question we have to ask here on Christmas Eve, if Jesus is the center of all of history, is he the center of my life? Christmas is a great time for us to evaluate that question because it's not a neutral question. In other words, well, if Jesus isn't the center, we all have something at the center of our lives. It might be ourselves. It's our greatest tendency. It might be a job. It might be finances. It might be a person. It might be our spouse. It might be our kids might be a desire or a dream for a relationship. None of those things in and of themselves are bad things. But even good things made ultimate things will fail us. See, Jesus at the center 
is important because he's the only one that can carry the weight of our lives. Our job can't handle the weight of our lives. Our hopes can't handle the weight of our lives. They can't, they don't have an answer for evil and they don't have an answer for for sin. But Jesus does and he is the answer. And so I want to invite you here today. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe this is your first time in church in a long time. Maybe it's your first time at Mill City. Or maybe you come to church just about every week. But I want to invite you to evaluate honestly and to invite Jesus to be the center. To make Jesus the center of your life. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, made Jesus the center, you can just simply, sincerely, under your breath, say, Jesus, I make you the center of my life. I give you my life. It's not the only thing that we need to say to Jesus. But it is an amazing first thing to say to Jesus. Because it's the beginning of a relationship and a conversation. It's the beginning of us continuing to give our lives and reorient our lives around Jesus. Allowing Him to inform, define, give shape to every aspect of our lives. And so if that's you here today, you just made the most amazing decision of your life. Remembering that Jesus comes. And that you are not alone. We have hope. And He ultimately changes everything. We want to take a moment and sing together. Actually, I don't want us just to sing. I actually want us to, 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 to sing a prayer. And so if you would, let's all stand together. You can take your candle out. Don't turn it on yet. You know, it's not quite as magical as a lit candle, but uh, we have a couple of boundaries here in this auditorium, and so we do our second best, which is lights that turn on. And so if you just hang on to that, but here in a moment we're going to sing a song called Jesus at the Center. And once we start singing, you can turn your, your candle on, and maybe even before you do, just take a moment and reflect. Reflect on, is Jesus the center of my life? And as an act of, of saying that He is or believing that He is, maybe then at that point, turn it on and say, you are the center. You're the center of the world. You're the center of my life. You have come into the world and you are the center of all of history and the center of me. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus doesn't just encourage us to receive the light, but actually to be the light of the world. So may it also be a reminder to each one of us that even as we leave here today, wherever we go into family situations and jobs and all the other things that we're a part of, that we might be the light of the world. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to keep you center of our hearts and our lives. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much, so much that you... You wrote yourself into the story so that we might know you. That you're not a far off idea, but in fact, you're close and you're near in the reality of life. God, we thank you that, that we have hope to save us from that which we, we can't save ourselves. 
And God, we thank you that you change everything, that death won't have the last word, and brokenness and disease won't have the last word, but you have the last word. And so today, would you help us to reorient our lives, recenter our lives around you? This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.